Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Matilda Lundblad has worked as a team doctor in football for many years. With Jitex BK and Kovabergs Göteborgs FC in the Damalsvenskan. Now... She is with EF Elfsborg in the Swedish men's top flight, Allsvenskan. She has experience in national team football and futsal with both men and women. In this special episode of Their Pitch, she talks about her research for UEFA on knee injuries a few years back and how she thinks the development of the women's game affects the female bodies and what you need to think about when preventing injuries. You are listening to Their Pitch, and this is the Dr. Matilda Lundblad episode. We're back with a brand new episode today. We actually, for the first time, have a doctor on this podcast, uh, Dr. Matilda Lundblad. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Uh, it's great. Fun to be here and talk about the the women's sport. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you on, and we saw that a lot of people seem to be excited about it as well. So I feel like this is going to be be fun and educational, especially for 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 the for the people out there who might not know as much as you do. Hope I can uh, com- contribute a little bit on that aspect, the medical part. <laughs> yeah, and and we usually <laughs> we usually start off, and which is also interesting because we start off with a quote, right? And when you have players that are active or coaches, you usually know who to go to. Um, I had to pull a few strings to get to this person, um, but I think that you will enjoy this. Okay. For Matilda, nothing is impossible. Everything she does, she has succeeded in. And there are no limits to what she will achieve in the future. She thirsts for knowledge like few others, taking in information about everything and anything constantly. Fortunately for me, she could even be charmed by a conversation about cement and concrete. Matilda loves to keep up with political debates and programs on social issues. Her biggest dream is probably that the Swedish TV program Debatt makes a comeback with the host Belinda Olsson. The very best thing about Matilda is her warmth and all the love she spreads around her. By the way, how emotional should I be in this? Should I tell you that she is the meaning of my life and all that? Who do you think that is? Okay, that's a quote coming straight from uh, my wife, uh, Frida Lundblad, former uh, Frida Hedlund, who is a um, former football player and uh, the rock in my life. That's uh, that's very correct. <laughs> that's very correct. I think it was it was a lot of fun to to write this uh, to get this quote because I because she 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 wrote it apart and then I was like can you give me something more that hints that it's you and she said yeah 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 the the concrete and cement part will yeah, definitely the- <laughs> do it 
<laughs> yeah, she's an engineer. And I remember the first, uh, one of our first conversations, she was actually talking about the difference between the concrete and cement. And I actually found that interesting. And I told a friend like, wow, do you know there's a difference? And they're like, wow, you guys belong together. <laughs> <laughs> true nerds. <sighs> true, true nerds. <laughs> so so you, you're, um, you're a licensed doctor. Uh, obviously, you have to be licensed to <laughs> do the medical stuff. But how come you got into to being a doctor? Uh, being a doctor was a decision that followed me from when I was younger, according to my parents. Uh, myself, I just remember I wanted to become an engineer or study uh, and study economics to be able to uh, be an entrepreneur. Um, but, um, I've always had like the interest for the, like the human body and the, uh, the physiology and, uh, uh, the human body is very complex and that, um, that's very interesting. And then, um, uh, I'm a GP specialist and during my specialist training, I, um, and well, I played uh, basketball and, the uh, like the, uh, Allsvenskan, like the uh, division one in uh, Sweden. And, uh, um, so I had like the interest from, um, um, sports. And when I started doing my, a part of my GP training was, uh, in a smaller, where I have my summer house in, uh, uh, Fjällbacka, a small resort in, uh, in Sweden. And when I came there, um, I asked them, is there some sports I can do here? And they were like, yeah, we have like uh, football and or soccer in division um, three. Have you ever played before? And I was like, I hadn't. And I was like 29 years old, but I still, I said, uh, yeah, sure. I have a, a little bit uh, at least. Oh, well, like what position do you play? <laughs> I'm like, hmm, forward. <laughs> so I lied a little bit. And then uh, I started playing in uh, Hamburg Sund. Ladies team division three, and uh, there were a lot of people my age, so it was a fun year. So I played like a full season every game in like their first team and their second team division three and five, and I managed to score a lot of goals and uh, meet a lot of uh, cool friends there. And that rumor kind of spread, uh, so I was uh, contacted by another doctor who was working with. Uh, uh, like um, a Swedish uh, men's team in the first division and he asked if I wanted to come join him and help him out uh, which I did and then uh, I found it so much uh, so interesting and I started taking courses in sports um, cardiology sports uh, like all the concussion meeting for sports and uh, started getting into the injuries and uh, I joined the uh, the UEFA research group um, and uh, this new world opened to me and then uh, uh, then quickly uh, I started working with um, as a uh, like um, team head team doctor of Visitex uh, the ladies team in Damalsvenskan and then I went Two two, te two teams in the same time. I have Elfsborg, the men's team in the Swedish Premier League, and also Copperberg, Gothenburg, um, 
FC in the Swedish uh, Women's League. And uh, the interest just continued and I started working uh, in a a private hospital for orthopedics medicine, uh, which was good at that time because I could uh, like handle a lot of the the players' issues there and I learned how to like um, analyze MRIs for injuries and so on. Um, and I think the reason why I worked for such a long time in the men's and the women's Premier League is probably because I had the research part as well. So uh, it was like true nerding into uh, everything about injuries and, uh, and players. And I think I like the performance uh, part of it as well. It's, um, uh, yeah, it's a fun area to be, to dig into. So that's how it just continued. And through the UEFA, research group i was around meeting a lot of um uh team doctors for the um for the the men's team in europe and i um one of my role models and mentors became like the the men's team uh doctor for fc barcelona Ricard pruna uh, so he inspired me a lot and taught me how to uh analyze the ultrasound looking at the muscles and the tendons and uh, uh, we started doing some uh, research together on uh, genetic factors and um, injuries in the Barcelona men's team um, along with the uh, professor in uh, lab medicine so yeah as you hear I'm a true nerd so I like just find <laughs> different areas and <laughs> dig into them and uh, that's how it that's how it's like uh, continued ever since. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because you, you did say in the beginning, we're going to get back to, you know, um, the, the continuous, you know, learning from other people and, and uh, inspirations. But I think it's, you said in the beginning something about, you know, wanting to be maybe uh, an engineer or an uh, entrepreneur. Uh, being yeah. a doctor did not, you know, cancel out being an entrepreneur, right? Because you're still a little bit of an yeah. entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And uh, that's actually how I chose because I was like, if even if I choose to be an engineer, if I choose to be an engineer and study economics, then I can never work as a doctor within the area of medicine. But if I, if I become a doctor, I can still uh, learn and become an entrepreneur and work with like uh, tech and the tech side of uh, sports and uh, other areas in medicine as well. So yeah, somehow I managed to join all these areas in the end. How important is it for you to, you know, you know, have those, those people that you may be like, like uh, Pruna that you can relate to and that you can talk to whenever something comes up and have those people around you. What does that mean to you? Well, that's what's uh, like, I think in every profession you need to like uh, develop. And uh, when you're, for example, in IFL for now, I'm the like uh, doctor of the men's uh, team and uh, I'm alone in that role and I have a lot of colleagues, the physiotherapists and uh, fitness trainers and the coaching team. But uh, uh, it's really important to have like a network of um, uh, doctors because medicine is so broad. So you need to have both like colleagues within the football medicine area who are like broad as yourself. And you need to have like sub-specialized doctors as well and like 
uh, areas. But I think um, like the relationships gives a lot of energy. And I think the first uh, when I was like, if you go back in time again, when I was uh, working in the uh, first division in the men's team, uh, my my first team that I was involved with, then I started doing some rotations in the orthopedic department in uh, Gothenburg, and I met. uh, former IFK Gothenburg's uh, Dr. Jon Karlsson, who is a brilliant orthopedic surgeon. And we really clicked as uh, our personalities was really similar. And uh, and uh, he taught me most of the things that was really important for me at that point. And I remember in the beginning, uh, we were on the phone every day. And then then I learned some things, the basics, and then I called him once a week and I managed to help him out with some things and we started doing research together. Uh, so that was a fantastic period, uh, learning from him. And then um, and then I met Richard Pruna and started learning other areas from him. And, uh, and we have a really strong network of doctors. In, uh, I'm in the medical committee of the Swedish FA, Swedish Football uh, association and uh, there we have a um, cardiologist uh, for example um, Mats Burjesson and he's like teaching uh, um, all the doctors football doctors in Sweden what the basics and what we need to know in that area and we have some physiotherapists and orthopedic surgeon uh, we had a psychologist uh, adding a lot of knowledge and fitness uh, uh, coaches and so on so it's a um, I would say it's the most important thing uh, that you keep learning all the time because football medicine is a broad area. It's about concussion, infections, um, and, um, training, uh, load, and so on, and, uh, and all the technique added to that with the global positioning system, the GPS, and uh, measuring the pulse and everything. So it's... Uh, I would say it makes your job easier if you, like me, a researcher that can quite easily uh, read up on things uh, quickly to keep uh, uh, a good knowledge. And you've you've worked with you know both uh, with the women's high league uh, GTX and Copa Bergetboy, and you've also worked with the, you know men's football with the Elfsborg and uh, obviously for for the national team during the games sometimes in Gothenburg. Uh, what 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 kind of differences do you see within you know the medical stuff for for female players and male players? Well, I would say the teams I've worked in like for the longest have been like top teams and uh, on the women's side um, and and on the men's side, looking back, it's been uh, when I joined, well, I've actually been in IFL Spur men's team for 11 season or it's my 11th season now. And I was in Copperberg FC in I think seven seasons. And when they told me how it was like five years before I started and so on, maybe they had like a massage therapist and sometimes a physio and so on. So uh it's like every season it's uh, getting better and better uh, and there's uh, um uh, but there's of course a big difference uh, from from the women's game and the men's game and uh, i think uh, nowadays uh, copper which is now hecken of course they have like a, a physiotherapist or physio on every training and they have good facilities and so on um uh, but 
um, uh, I would say the difference is probably that they have maybe one person in the games and, and uh, IFL sport have uh, maybe always uh, two physiotherapists uh, in the training and the games and, uh, and so on. And, uh, but if you look in the comparing the, uh, the women's and the men's game, it's quite, it's quite a big difference. Uh, nowadays, in the top teams in Sweden, the women are, most of the teams are um, full-time. If you just look back a very few years, maybe it was half, uh, half the team and so on. And that's one of the like, important factors because um, it has to do with uh, 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 the load as well. And you need to... Um, uh, you need to get the time to the recovering from training and matches. If you have a full, or if you have a hard time or full time job on the side, then it's uh, it's quite problematic sometimes to get the nutrition, the sleep, uh, the prehab done. Um, so that is, uh, I mean, the the women's game is developing much quicker now than compared to the men's game. Uh, the men's game is always uh, the men's game is of course developing as well, but I would say the uh, the women's team now have a um, like a it's peaking now and, uh, and so I'm trying on my side to help out to push uh, to push it forward and now and we talked about uh, also like now the men's clubs or the former men's clubs now are adding like following uh, interna- international clubs like they're adding a women's team as well and starting to structure the the medical team and uh, these things uh, uh, around the women's team for example in IFL sport we have a women's team and they um, they didn't manage in the end to qualify to the first division so they are now in the in the second division but uh, we are uh, like every time I talk to the um, to the uh, the board or someone uh, in IFL sport, we are now talking a lot about how to help the women and uh, what is the plan to like add more, add more of the, how can the men's um, medical team help uh, the women? Uh, what is like, uh, what is a good level for this year? And if they manage to go to the first division, what do we need the next season and so on? Um, so that's uh, something important. I think, I think it's, uh, I would say that it's it's difficult for the clubs who have a women's team just to have a women's team. Uh, like either you either you give it all and like actually do a good job that it's going to be enjoyable for everyone and, and the club can uh, can have the success that comes with it. And it's of course important for the brands and very important for the sponsors that you have like a. Uh, a, a women's team as well, uh, but the, from what I'm hearing when I talk to other clubs, sometimes you you add a women's team just to have a women's team, but you don't really uh, give it any resource resource resources um, from the club economy and so on, and then then it's just a hassle for the club. It just becomes a lot of administration and. Uh, friction in the club so i think every club has to decide do we want to like if you start a women's team you should like give it all and try to be successful and then it will give give back a lot and to the club i'm sure here's a cool fact 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I did actually spoke with a person that works at St. Mary's University in London, uh, where they have done a research and study about you talked about it a little bit before Matilda about sports technology and and uh, stuff like that to compare what women's football have compared to the men and and this study has been around all over in in media uh, actually in the swedish media the latest days as well i must say mm-hmm. but what she what she has found out together with um, a group of people including leah williamson uh, that she talks about is the fact that there are differences uh, because sports technology is designed for men. Okay, so we're going to do this the their pitch way. I'm going to let I'm going to let you introduce yourself in your own language even though you live in England, you are from Denmark. Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Katrine Akon Kruyer uh, and I'm a senior lecturer in uh, sports medicine at St. Mary's University uh, in London. Uh, so as you say, I'm, I'm from Denmark, but I live I live in England. We love a good Scandi uh, on this podcast, you know it. Uh, but you have been doing some research on technical equipment in the women's game to compare it to what they have in the men's game or just probably many things that you knew before you started this and you have been doing this with a group of people right yep so um uh, it's uh, it's a paper that I did together with Leah Williamson who's uh, the captain of the England women's national team uh staff from the England national team and three women's super league teams and some academics as well so it's a mixture between science and you know like stories from the real world and the applied experience um and we we looked into uh where we are in terms of technology in women's football compared to the men's side of the game so obviously uh, uh most of the, all the equipment was designed for men first and then some of it has been adapted to women and some of it has not um so everything from the kits to the balls to the boots uh, sports bras hijabs uh, etc is something we cover and discuss in terms of you know how far is the development is there any in terms of adjusting it to women um one of the things is uh, the kit so um i guess you know that the first sort of kit from uh, like shorts and, and tops were uh, launched from Nike and Adidas in 2019 for the World Cup which is crazy to think about that up until then we we played in in men's kits and you know baggy baggy shirts and big shorts and and socks which either you know if they fitted in length um they would have a heel cup half the way up up your 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 lower leg and like super bad fit inside the shoe um but you know that's just what we like grew up with as girls and never really questioned it but like when you think back at it now it's absolutely ridiculous that we've played football like that for so many years even at the elite level right 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is that right now I'm sort of in a period in my life where, because obviously the development in the women's game is it's going fast, and but now we actually talk about these things. Uh, and then I find myself, I get so angry uh, every time. It, like what you said to me right now, it's like, yeah, what, what the, yeah, I'm not going to say that word, but, but you know what I mean. Um, but the thing is that what you have been doing now, what, what realizations has your work given you and what can we learn from, from what you have been studying? Yeah, so I think, you know, one thing is, yay, like we're doing something and we've gotten like a step of the way, you know. Yes, we've got kids now for women, but I saw just on the news this evening that England has now approached um, FIFA um, to ask that the, the shorts colour is going to change for the women's team. We've seen that with some teams like Manchester City have changed it. So women have come out and said, you know, we don't want to wear white shorts um, some of the stories I got when I did this paper was, you know, medical staff from Super League teams who said players would, when they were on their period running onto the pitch saying, can you just check for me whilst I'm playing? So basically they're running around, not focusing on the game, but focusing on uh, them potentially leaking because now with games being televised, you know, like their worst nightmare would be visible leakage going onto the pitch and it being uh, filmed. And like, you could just imagine like the YouTube videos that would uh, be made from, from a situation like that, you know, like, and it's really simple. You just need to change the short color. It's not a bigger issue than that. You don't need to reinvent things that take a lot of time with like research. It's just changing that. Um, and then there are other things like um, my little passion, which is the football boots where we know today that, I, there aren't really any football boots on the market. There's a small startup company from Australia who makes women's football boots. But if you look at the bigger brands, um, there's nothing. They have some boots that they claim are unisex, but uh, I'm not sure what that really means, whether it's just a, a smaller size of a, um, a good quality boot um, so that uh, they don't have to actually wear kids' boots, which a lot of women actually have to do today. Um but so it's it's that in between, you know, yeah, we're, we've gotten a long way, but we're not there yet. And we're trying to highlight that to to anyone reading it, you know, whether that is researchers who can help us improve it, whether it's manufacturers who need to be reminded that they also have to focus on half the world's population who for whom this is the biggest sport in the world for them. You know, it's the most popular sport for women. So it's not niche area. There are plenty of people they can design equipment for. And obviously, you know, all the users out there who should, you know, as we say, you know, like be a bit uh, cautious with what they select and be critical about what they buy as well. Yeah. And, and the fact is that you have seen this stuff now uh, up close. What consequences can there be? when women doesn't have equipment and in 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 the, this area uh, for them not but, just about you know white shorts and leaking because that's that's not you know like also because when you say that then that gets me to think that that's not a a physical injury or consequence but that's a that's more a psychological um, thing. I'm not going to say it, it isn't physical because obviously it is, but you know what I mean when I say that. 
but what what consequences can there be if there are equipment not developed for women when it comes to injuries well you know so as you say the first thing is you know feeling respected and feeling equal so having the like things available is a big thing just that level of respect from the manufacturers and then second of all you know every time we talk about developing sort of equipment in sports we talk about three things you want to optimize the performance you want to minimize the risk and you want to improve the perception of the of the equipment so that could be you know this is comfortable or yes i prefer dark shorts over white shorts so you want to you know make sure that it fits properly because like if you are um, wearing football boots that um aren't optimal in terms of the traction to so the outsole you know that's going to decrease your performance if the football boots are going to squeeze your foot and be painful yeah you're probably going to get blisters but potentially also worse things like um stress fractures in the forefoot irritation of the Achilles tendon which can, which can be really difficult to get rid of again um and then you know as you say that that perception feeling of you know like having something you're happy with comfortable and feeling comfortable wearing you know um with and and that is a level of psych- psychology in there as well yeah and it's it's kind of weird and crazy now that you mentioned it because i've been thinking about you know the fact if you're a runner and you go into a store to buy running shoes then most like brands have a women's shoe and a men's shoe. So it's crazy that the biggest sport uh, in the world or one of the biggest sports is not having it. Yeah. And if I can just follow on from that comparison with running shoes, you know, you go into a running shoe shop and you buy a running shoe that fits you. So yeah, you have a men's and a women's section, but you also go in and you buy, oh, am I a heel striker or forefoot striker? Do I need a neutral shoe? Do I need a stability shoe? You know, so you think about how you move as a person and you go and you wear it and you decide, you know, is this comfortable? When you go in and buy a pair of football boots, you go in and buy potentially, um, oh, this is what this big star is wearing, so I want to be the same. Or this is a speed boot, it makes you fast, so I want to be fast, so therefore I'm going to buy this boot. Or I'm a defender, I need a leather boot. So you, basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, you buy a running shoe that fits you, and you buy a football boot based on what you want to become. And you have this idea, right, that, you know, when you when you, when you you uh buy that football boot and you put it on you know it's okay that it hurts for a month and you normally it's okay to have blisters you know and it's like you have to this wearing it in period and you know if you bought a pair of running shoes and you wore it for two weeks and it would be uncomfortable those two weeks you'd go and return them to the shop right like you have this crazy idea that it's okay the football boots are not meant to fit you And what did you think when when you heard uh, Katrina speak about this? Yeah, I think uh, she's done a fantastic job with uh, like raising the awareness around the equipment and uh, wearables, sports technology, and uh, everything around the women's sport. Uh, I think she can really make a difference because that's really how it um, how it is that the for example like the the football uh, boot uh, it's um, mostly men's shoes and the women in the top leagues in Europe in US in Sweden are still playing in uh, uh, shoes um, 
for children and for men's. And uh, I really like what she said as well about uh, like uh, it's been uh, talked about quite a lot. So now the uh, what uh, many of the companies in the industry has jo- done is that they call the shoes unisex instead, but it's actually uh, it's actually adapted for men's feet and uh, uh, just with smaller sizes. So uh, and there's uh, obviously anatomical differences. Uh, um, comparing the women's and the men's uh, feet and we have different strengths so um, the shoes need to have different like stability and also um, uh, for example the uh, the front foot uh, of a woman is slimmer compared to a men's so we have like aspects of injury risk and uh, and uh, also how the shoes just feels and the um, um and so on so so uh, i think it's great raising the awareness and i really hope that her her work will um um uh, push this question even uh, further and help uh, help the industry t- uh, to um to make equipment uh, for women and and she also mentioned mentioned something which is uh, such a simple thing that uh, it it just shows that uh, it's a immense sport from the beginning and still consider so when you have uh, like white shorts for the women uh, which is obviously not so comfortable and uh, when you as a woman have to run around like thinking is my period leaking and it's such a simple thing to do and I hear it all the time from like uh, younger teams uh, as well in the clubs in the academy that like um um, the people, the staff working, the technical staff are like uh, buying the white shorts for the women and so on. So I think we just need to talk about it so that uh, it to uh, make it easier for the people uh, in the clubs and in the industry to understand that uh, football is also for women and uh, equipment, uh, wearable, everything needs to be adapted for both sexes, especially since uh, the women's sport is developing so quickly now. And uh, um, um, the sponsors, uh, the income from the sponsors is increasing a lot. And the sponsors also need to like in, in demand uh, along with the... Uh, uh, with us that um, it's adapted for women yeah and I, I i must ask you this question now when we have listened to what katrina has been saying about her study and what you say now because you uh, have worked with both women and men in in football mm-hmm. and in clubs where there are both uh, men and women's teams what she is saying uh, about her studies and work and what you are saying do you think that clubs I must say that men clubs with women's teams, are they ready for this conversation? Like you said it yourself, like this with, yeah. with white shorts. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. can, this is like, to me, it's very, it's, it's very weird that we haven't come further with, with, yeah well it's not a question about being ready or not they need to be ready and you need to recruit uh, also women into the men's uh, men's clubs and um, for example uh, UEFA added a new rule um, um, a year or two back that uh, or just a year or a few months back actually that uh, 
every women's team because they noticed that um, uh, now when the uh, economy is coming into the uh, the women's game and uh, it's becoming more and more um, um, attractive to be like a football doctor or a fitness coach in the women's team as well, the top teams, then um, there's a lot of men working in the women's team and also as coaches. So they added a rule saying that at least one uh, in the coaching team uh, or analyst um, needs to be a woman in the women's game, but not in the men's game. And it just shows that, you know, it's uh, it's always going down. It starts from FIFA and UEFA and um, uh, they are not taking the lead in this question. Uh, it's quite obvious. So I think every club themselves needs to think and do what they can do. It would definitely help out if, um, for me, it's so obvious. If you add a rule, then that should be for the men's game and the women's game. Why can't a woman work in the men's game? There's like, it's, uh, it's actually, it's uh, insane if you ask me. So, um, uh, every club needs to do what they can do, uh, to prevent injuries, to make, um, make the facilities and the the equipment and everything adapted for the women's sports. And um, uh, yeah, so that's my take on it. There's a lot to do. And I'm, I'm myself trying to, to help out as much as I can on that part. Uh, and I think uh, we all need to do that, not just the women working in the men's or the women's game. Uh, also, the men need to help out in these questions. We're going to go into the listeners' question part later, but but we actually had one question from the listen, uh, listeners that I thought would fit since we have been talking about, you know, football shoes and and um, researchers about that. And this is from at Cooley underscore Aiden, and they wonder, suppose there is a correlation between ACL's high-risk level level injuries and the players boots made for males is it finally time for all companies that supply sponsor boots to to go hard on researching and developing boots for female footballers yes uh, i would say yes and no research takes time and it's uh, quite difficult uh, like doing proper research and being able to say that it's actually causing injuries where for women wearing men's uh, shoes then you need to like in the same team half the team needs to have wear men's teams and uh, half of the team needs to wear a women's team and you need to follow them over a lot of seasons and, uh, and compare the injury risk and so on so i would say it's quite obvious for me that if a woman uh, plays play in a shoe that is not fitted for them, especially since women have high risk of uh, stress fractures in, in the foot compared to men. Uh, women have uh, not in the completely highest level, but as soon as you go down a little bit in level, um, uh, just suddenly they have a much higher uh, three to four times higher risk of ACL injuries and other severe knee injuries. So uh, of course, women needs to play in um, in um, shoes adapted for their foot and uh, and I don't think we need of, of course it's great with the research but we don't need the research for that we just need to produce um, shoes for women uh, fitted uh, uh, for women so uh, it's a good question and uh, 
of course, everyone would love it uh, to have that uh, uh, another good argument. Like the research, we can see from the research that this is happening. But I think everyone can understand that it's not good to have a boot which is in the front of the foot, a little bit too wide for a woman's foot. So that you, you actually have to crunch with your toes to get the stability. Um, and uh, the Achilles tendon um, issues can, in theory, appear from that and stress fractures and uh, uh, and also the important aspects of like the feeling of the boot. Um, so it, it's not uh, it's not good, of course, that women play in so-called unisex and men's, which is actually men's uh, football boots and children's uh, boots because the children's boots are, have uh, lower stability from what uh, elite women needs, uh, and uh, and uh, the men's uh, men's boots have probably too much of the stability because the men have bigger muscle mass masses, and uh, so it needs to be adapted whether the research is there or not. I think it's it's a question with a clear answer that we don't have to think about. Uh, for too long now just waiting yeah. for for the manufacturers to just go yeah. for it uh, because i i think yeah. they could make money from this as well but definitely yeah i know there's there's a lot of talk about acl injuries and knee injuries and and but there yeah. are other things and injuries to think about when it comes to the differences between men and women uh, but the thing is also yes. that you mentioned when when we talked before about uh, doing this podcast that i mean you work uh, in, cl- in in a club right now with a men men's team in the highest division and they have a women's team who prob- that probably will go up in the swedish highest divis- division for for uh, women in the near future what do you think is important and what do you see uh, within a club structure uh, to, to make it make it good uh, for for the women's teams and the academies uh, as well for for girls when it comes yep. to prevent injuries and, and take care yep. of the body. Yeah, uh, it's a good question, and uh, I think uh, what we need to do is, uh, or I can give an example of what we are now talking about to do for the next season for uh, the women's team is to have certain slots of time uh, where uh, where the where the women's team as the men's academy elite teams uh, have the opportunity to come to the. Uh, the physios and uh, and um, to get the first um, um, access to the to the medical team and uh, uh, just uh, so we include the women um, in the same way as we've done with the elite teams on the men's side uh, under seventeen under nineteen and um, uh, teams on the men's side and uh, with that I think. Uh, uh, we're starting to build the structure uh, around the women's team as well. And uh, one thing which most uh, football players and coaches don't know in Sweden is that uh, um, uh, we have actually in the in, in the license you pay we have uh, an insurance which uh, insurance which is quite uh, good actually, which is like for free or you pay it with a with a license. Uh, which every football player in Sweden pays for. And uh, you get access to a quite good insurance where 
Uh, it can be included MRI if it's uh, necessary and uh, X-ray. And you can also see a uh, sports medicine doctor, uh, physiotherapists a few times and so on. And uh, we've discussed this a lot in the medical committee in the Swedish FA. FA and it's uh, um, uh, there's a phone number. It's called the Rådam Ward, like advice and uh, treatment. Uh, for football players and there's also included other sports now and uh, so as a football player you can call there and uh, uh, talk about your injury and uh, the person in the phone who has some uh, knowledge about uh, injuries um, uh, can uh, book you to a doctor or to a physiotherapist or and they can uh, add an MRI and so on and sometimes you need it's good to have some guidance uh, that's what we work a lot with because our men's uh, um, team they have insurance which is covering everything and I um, uh, I write the referral for the MRI and I look at the images and I talk to the x-ray doctors and so on and everything's really quick and all the other insurances uh, uh, goes via the phone or something. So it's, uh, it's very good for all the teams to know about this insurance because you have, if you're a football player in Sweden, you have quite good insurance and you need some guidance through that. So what we're doing now is we're including the, the women's team and helping them to learn about what insurance they have. And also me and a former physiotherapist from IFL Sport, we have had uh, a few sessions of, um, uh, instructing and talking about injuries where we invited the women's team and and uh, the coaches uh, of the women's and the men's team in IFL sport we talk about the um, the preventive um, uh, aspects of uh, or how to how to train to prevent uh, severe knee injuries and so on so so that's a few things i I talk a lot now, but it's interesting also. It's interesting also, but we, we do have a trend uh, yeah. that we see, especially in the media. And of course, we have players been speaking out yeah. about it as well yeah. and coaches. And Amanda, you wrote a column uh, in uh, at Fotbollskanalen a couple of weeks ago. Did, I did. So I'm sure mm. you, you have questions to, to Matilda. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so what I did write about is the fact that we see this, we see this, uh, this, you know, we're trying to make women's football and, and men's football equal part of, yeah. you know, and I think with all of this FIFA, FIFA and UEFA, they're like, Oh, how do we make it equal? Well, let's just give the women the same amount of competition that the men, that the men have. Right. Yep. But but there's there's a difference between uh, female players and male players. And uh, Mia, you've talked about this a lot. It's the pool of extremely professional players that that represent both the national team and uh, club teams is extremely small. You know, it's mm -hmm. these players that the, the, the best of the best that play for these teams that make it all the way to the Champions League final. They're, they're playing January through December every single year. Like, and there's certain players that do that probably. Um, but what do you think about this, this load that UEFA and FIFA seem to, you know, they just seem to want to bang in competition after competition and, and, you know, make it, you know, put more, more of a load on these, these players that already are more prone to injuries. Uh, yeah. 
uh, and you see, definitely. And uh, we had a discussion quite recently about the um, in England for the men's uh, part with the um, the cup and also the the Premier League and everything. Uh, and it uh, was all crammed in, and uh, you need a certain. Um, uh, time um, to adapt to be able to play a game again, of course. And there's there's a uh, six times higher injury risk in games compared to training, so you can't play too many games either. Uh, but I would say that, um, in my opinion, the men and the women um, are able to play uh, equal amounts of uh, uh, trainings and uh, a game as um, that's a question I get sometimes uh, it just uh, um, sometimes you you train a bit different and you need to um, adapt the load in the training and there's a different load in the uh, matches matches for the women's and the men's games of course so the amount is uh, uh, can be the same but uh, uh, UEFA and FIFA are cramming the uh, the schedules uh, on the cost of the player's health um, because you're also traveling a lot, which uh, is not making the recovery part uh, easy. Um, so, but some something uh, like uh, the, the men's team have about like 27 players in their squad. And so, um, and uh, if the women have the same broad squads, uh, the same amount of players with like high quality elite players on the bench as well, then um, it's equal how many matches and um, trainings they can, uh, they can have. So the exposure time for them uh, can be similar, but it's correct as you say, it's as the economical uh, aspects uh, uh, is uh, sometimes doing the, so that UEFA and FIFA are cramming the schedules, definitely. And that's not good if it's uh, if uh, that part of the men's game is going into the women's game, of course. I think, because I, I, I get that, obviously, but when we I think, obviously, there's been a lot of players, you know, that have protested about this, considering yeah, I th- considering because I don't know how many players right now, I know somebody did put the exact number out. But there's like yeah. over forty players, I think, that are out with ACLs right now, for yeah. for 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 this, you know, being overloaded. I think. Um, well, yeah. I don't know because I'm not a doctor, but I think that's what they're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But do you think that this is going to be be challenging in the future as well for women's football, or like when it comes to to being prone to injuries, or or what do you think is going to be the most challenging in order to to kind of correct this or fix it so it doesn't happen as often yeah uh, well um, ACL injuries are a bit different compared to uh, other injuries but uh, if you ask me in theory it's a question of like chronic overload and uh, not having uh, um, the right recovery time before the games and so on and uh, maybe it's uh, it's uh, like immaturity of the uh, the facilities, the medical teams, and so on, uh, on the women's side compares to the men's side, and uh, there's um, there's different aspects of, uh, for example, if we talk about the ACL injuries, 
um, it's on the top elite level. It's a quite similar um, incidents, like how often you get it on the men's and the women's side. It's like one ACL injury per team every second season. Uh, but uh, uh, if you go down and level a little bit, then it's much higher for the women's team, which means that you need the you need the medical support and the rehab and the and the preventive training in the team to be able to keep it at that level. And as soon as you um, go away from that and start focusing more on the games and lose a bit of the of the training around, which you need to do, be prepared for the games. Because it's in the games you you injure the ACL usually, um, then uh, then quickly it can increase. And I, I haven't seen the statistics. Sometimes there's like a a peak, and at the moment there's a lot of the like star players who has an ACL, and there's a lot about it in the media. Uh, but looking back in several seasons, the it's been like one uh, one ACL injury every second season in the top elite level, which is like. Which it's a good level, it's like the best level we have in the top teams and in Premier League and Champions League teams as well on the men's side. So, um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer to your question or not. But what I can say, which is really important about the ACL injuries, it's for the women, like both men and women. Uh, uh, in the puberty, you have like a, a, a peak where you uh, increase in height and, uh, and and like how tall you are. And um, uh, the men have more like uh, their body adapts to that with um, uh, the resistance and the muscles so that you don't injure your um your uh, your knee and so on but but the women they need to work with like what we've seen in the research the women around twen- their 20s that's where they injure their acl uh, for the first time and uh, and uh, you need to do like neurological or neuromuscular training programs you can decrease uh, the incidence of acl injuries with almost 70 percent. so we know how to prevent ACL injuries definitely on the women's side but as soon as we step so step away from that then the injury can be there for example on the men's side they they when they injure the ACL it's more on the end of their career around their 30s or just before they turn 30 uh, where potentially your muscle mass is decreasing and you need more recovery and so on for the games and you're not prepared um so, and for example, in Sweden, we have a program called Kna Control, which is uh, quite established, and uh, and we know that it's working. Um, you know, it's uh, Valdén and Heglund has been doing a lot of research there, along with others, and it's the Swedish Football Federation, along with one of the uh, of the insurance company for the um, the men's and the women's top leagues in Sweden. Uh, who has uh, um, developed this program? And that's also what we are, and me and the former physiotherapist of Elfsborg are like uh, trying to add that knowledge into to our club uh, on a regular basis um, to be able to prevent these injuries. With that being said, we're going to move on to the listeners' questions. We have had a lot. I'm sure we have talked about some of the things already, but. We'll dive into them uh, in right now. At SJ Conroy 17 
uh, understand this might be something that can be answered publicly, but when researching UEFA, did you feel they matched your efforts and cared for the issue? Uh, well, it's a good question, and it's uh, if you have if you lift it to a broader perspective. Um, I mean, I was um, most of the UEFA material which is collected is on the men's side, and uh, started in two thousand and one, and it's still ongoing. So it's like around twenty thousand injuries and a lot of uh, training and matches collected data on the men's side. Uh, so we have, uh, or in in the UEFA research group, they have. Um, uh, started on the women's side and uh, producing some uh, publications and so on. But it's quite similar to research in general. Mostly is uh, is um, um, on of the material is on the men's men's game. So that's uh, so I, I touched it a little bit before. I think UEFA and FIFA uh, they need to take the lead. Uh, for the equal game and uh, which they are not doing at the moment uh, so it can be it can be um, and there's a lot to do there um, but I wouldn't say me personally that I wasn't listened on the, because I was studying the men's because that's what the material was yeah. uh, but uh, but uh, of course uh, it would have been great if already in 2001 they started also collecting data on the women's side of course we would have much uh much uh, more data now and to be able to do uh, more precise analysis and so on. Caroline Sjöblom, uh, what should coaches consider when working with female footballers compared to men? Should clubs monitor the menstrual cycle of the players? And if, uh, what should they do? Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you. Um, I, I would say uh, if we start talking about the menstrual cycle, that's not something that I think the clubs uh, have a lot of benefits in monitoring. Uh, something which is like for me the most important things uh, talking about the menstrual cycle is that you bleed and uh, which can decrease your level of um, uh, uh, hemoglobin and like... Um, or how do I say it <laughs> in easy words? But uh, uh, you need to have a high high uh, blood level, for example. Let's say, and, and it's about the iron in the body, and uh, which can decrease quite a lot. Uh, so, what we need to do, and what is also also regulated by the license for elite clubs, which is on the women's side, on the Damalsvenskan, on the men's side, it's uh, the first two leagues. Um, but uh, so for the license, you need to uh, take blood sample every year, and I would suggest that that includes um, uh, the iron uh, levels in the blood, uh, so that you are able to give supplements. For example, when you bleed, and then it's good to monitor when you bleed. But the woman knows herself. Like for example, uh, for the years I've been working with the females, it's always like. A few of the players taking iron supplements and you need to give advice when you talk about nutrition um, to eat like uh, green vegetables and so on, which are and and uh, <laughs> meat as well, preferably, uh, because it's uh, they have a high iron, level of iron in there. So that's very important. And then we know like the body is complex itself. And then you add like the hormonal cycle for the women who's not taking the contraception. They have the hormonal cycle. And uh, 
and that uh, we have some we have research on it but uh, there's no strong research saying that for example that that, that can help you like um, uh, in in the training really we know that the hormonal cycle is affecting the the structure of the ligaments but we don't have any strong evidence for example that you have more ligament injuries in a certain time of the menstrual cycle and so on so i know some teams for example chelsea they're talking a lot about it and they're giving supplements in certain periods of the hormonal cycle and so on but there's no actual like evidence behind that then it's but it's really good that it's uh, like increasing the awareness and you start talking about it for me as a doctor i have always some players maybe one or two players in the team who have a lot of pain um, when they have their period so uh, then they can write for example like a period diary so that we see okay when is the pain coming and then we try different for example painkillers different like low intensity like training uh, to decrease the pain um, because if you have a lot of pain and you uh, you can get very tired and so on so those kind of adjustment yes but we don't have the research to actually like like um, uh, uh, monitor the the period and get some benefits there i wouldn't say so just don't wear uh, white shorts <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but otherwise it's uh, good to have to know how to prevent uh, uh, severe uh, injuries and to know something about like for example concussion it's uh, uh, the women have like they have the stronger and more symptoms they have a longer uh, like return to play period after getting a uh, concussion so it's uh, even more so than in the men's uh, game important to know that if a player get hits uh, to the head then you need uh, most of the time you need to take the player out of the pitch and of course if it's the highest level you'll have a doctor there examining and knowing what to do but if you're like in a bit lower level and you don't have the like the medical knowledge there it's a better better safe than sorry because when when the players have had like say you you have four or five um concussions uh um, while playing football then usually or quite often it's like career ending after the fifth concussion and that's really unnecessary and the worst thing you can do is to like have a player and they have symptoms and you go back and you get a hit again then it's uh, you can have a really long uh, return to play period and also some like um, dangerous complications so a uh, concussion is a bit different in um, men's compared to women's. You also have more stress fracture, fractures, which also have something something to do with the menstrual cycle. And it's more important that uh, the women, because we have a norm in the society that you should look slim and so on. But when you play football and you train a lot, you need to have a certain area of your thigh it can't you can't be too slim in general so you don't you shouldn't have a lot of players being like underweight uh, training so much you can be a fantastic football player uh, the first couple of few months when you are underweight but in the long run you will get all the you you can you have an increased risk for stress fra fractures and so on um and a lot of female athletes uh, miss out on their period for longer times, which is not beneficial at all uh, in the long run. 
We also have a question from Atti Andersson. Can you see if artificial grass increases the risk uh, for injuries? Uh, is that a factor uh, when knee injuries appears? Uh, well, uh, my colleague uh, Carolina Christianson, she did uh, her PhD thesis on the area and uh, we've studied some of the same material. Um, and she looked at the, because we have a lot of artificial art, obviously, in the Nordic countries with the, the climate being as it is. And uh, uh, she looked into this over uh, several seasons. And what she saw was that uh, there's not a significant increase in um, injuries in general, nor uh, ACL injuries specifically either. Um, the injury panorama is a bit uh, different. Uh, and there's... Um, uh, compared, but uh, there's not uh, higher higher uh, injury risk in general. Uh, can say also must be about the fact is that when you come from playing uh, a long time on real grass to uh, artificial grass, I would probably guess that it's about adapting as well, and there are probably uh, training for that for that too. Yeah, and uh, I would say, for example, in Ellsberg, when we we have artificial turf, the and something I can say as well is before probably yes, because you know the artificial turf is developing as well, so it's hard to do research over a long time, and because now we so we have the the newest grass, which is better. But uh, I think uh, the usually what the teams does is, for example, we train and grass. Um, we have the regular trainings a few times on grass before we go and play a grass uh, game. Uh, and of course, like the definition of injury in research is that you miss out on a training or a game, but the players, obviously they feel like, okay, I have something. It doesn't feel, I have some pain in the lower back and my thighs feel, or my um, uh, calves feel tired and so on when you change uh, between, but the actual injury rate is not like higher. Usually, it's quite interesting because I hear a lot from the uh, the, the players from the Allsvenskan and the Swedish Premier League, which goes abroad and they stay have a successful career. And when they come back, they're like, okay, uh, the uh, the it's the artificial turf that does it, so that I get a lot of injuries. But I think it's actually because they're getting old. It, it, which yeah, is a, a big injury risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. In, in itself. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, Saga Fredriksson, is there conclusive evidence suggesting suggesting that prevention exercises are beneficial and working? Um, definitely so. Uh, we have some um, from, uh, from the, the most um, common football injury is uh, like a hamstring ruptures. And there are um, there are research that has been done on the Nordic hamstring um, training program and so on, uh, where you, you show that you can actually decrease the level of uh, hamstring injuries. And uh, uh, from the research, definitely uh, a lot of different uh, neuromuscular training programs, especially for women, decreases the injury risk of severe knee injuries. Between 60 to 70 percent uh, from the best programs. For example, knee knack control, knee control here in Sweden. Morgan Johansson uh, wants to know at which age 
should, especially women, start to focus a bit extra on niche and specific training? Related to this, do we see a difference depending on if the person has started with preventing preventive exercise at an early age or not? Um, yeah, good question. And uh, as I said, uh, well, uh, some teams ask me like, uh, okay, we have a seven, nine-year-old. Should they do the the training, preventive training programs? And uh, in this age, they don't have. Uh, a lot of, for example, knee injuries and these, which is coming in the women's sport. But, but it's good to start, for example, 10 to 12 year old, because you need to, it's, uh, they're only working when you do them in the correct way. So to implement them in, uh, in the teams and start working, for example, two times a week, 15 minutes every time with knee control for, 10 to 12 year old is uh, a good thing. Then you have already like the protective, um, the protection from the, uh, when you go into teenagers, when you become a teenager and puberty, you have that quick uh, uh, growth spur. Um, so I would say that age. And I think the, the other part of the question was if we can see uh, a difference uh, when you implement it. Um, what we know is that when you do it regular in a certain age, it has a good effect. But we don't know, for example, the difference if you started already when you were like nine or if you started when you were 12. There's no research which I know of who has uh, focused on that. But uh, definitely doing it um uh, two to three times a week. It takes about like 15 minutes. It can be a good part of like uh, in the beginning of the training to do. Um, then we know it has a really good effect. Uh, 60 to 70% from the best programs such as the uh, control. I think it decreases from the latest study, decreases uh, the ACL injuries with uh, 64%, which is uh, fantastic results. And something else I can say, which I forgot to say, like the the most common risk or the, or the highest risk factor for uh, getting an injury is having an injury before. So the first, you need to prevent the ACL injuries. When you've had an ACL injury, you have 30% increased risk of having another ACL in injury, either on the same or the other knee. So um, it's really important when you work with the women's team and that you start uh, or in the clubs, you start in an early age and you uh, have the knowledge about the program and that you implement it and that you keep working with it continuously. It would also make uh, Berge1992 underscore their sets and happy because you answered uh, their question. Is the risk of getting an HCL injury higher if you already have had one? You said it pretty oh, yeah. Yeah. well. Then. So <laughs> yes. uh, we'll leave the listeners question sex- section there and go into mm-hmm. this or that with Amanda to end this episode. So this or that, as usual, rapid fire, you get two options. It- you have to answer fast, no thinking, no explanation. All sorts of sports or just football? Football. On a day off, would you rather watch football or a political debate? Political debate. Grey's Anatomy or the ER? Grey's Anatomy. Would you rather retire as a forgotten team doctor that worked in a team that won many titles or a famous doctor known for breakthroughs in important research that changes the game? 
famous doctor doing good research, changing the game. When telling a player it will take time to get back on the pitch after being injured, do you get straight to the point or do you go easy on them and take your time? Straight to the point. And with that being said, Matilda, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. It was a joy having you on. Thank you so much. You're doing a great job. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 